Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon. <laughs> so good to be here with you, brethren, in Burlington once again on God's Holy Sabbath day. And I know we're in a different place. You really are truly part of the Church of God because the Church of God is very much known for being a church on the move. We are a nomadic people uh, from the early century when we had to be finding different places for our worship, sometimes having to go underground because of the Babylonish system in which we live. But I'm truly happy to be here. You would realize that a few months ago I had returned to Jamaica. Having come to the end of the role, I was here on uh, for a number of years and uh, therefore had the opportunity to be part of the work of the church in Canada, and uh, it was the kindness and decision of the uh, Canadian ministry and board to ask me to return to Canada in order to coordinate the evangelism activities <coughs> excuse me, of the church with the aim of growing the church in Canada. And it is with this in mind that exactly two Sabbaths from today, the coordinated effort by the Burlington, Kitchener, and Toronto congregations uh, will bring together in Mississauga on the 28th of this month, the Sabbath, the 28th, an outreach in which we will be taking the message of the gospel, the good news of salvation and the truth of God, so that others can hear it, many who God would be calling, but as the scriptures say, how can they hear except a preacher be sent. Pastor Bill Watson and I will be uh, presenting on that day. And we will be using the opportunity to call attention to the phenomenal event that will be taking place in this year, 2015, of two blood-red moons and two solar eclipses that are all occurring on God's holy days, holy calendar. Now this is phenomenal because last year you will recall that there were two eclipses, two blood-red moons, that occurred at the time of the beginning of the days of unleavened bread, the first high holy day of unleavened bread, and again at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, the high holy day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And then again this year, it's double that. You're going to be having the two blood red moons and also two solar eclipses occurring. And it is very well agreed by astronomers that this is by far a most unusual event for solar eclipses and lunar eclipses to be taking place in a given year. And all of them, not some of them, all of them are occurring on the high holy days 
of God. We really are of the view that this phenomenon has within it an important message for the world today. And that message God has given to his church, which keeps these holy days. They have meaning to us because they are days that we understand are holy. They are days that we understand are for ordained by God for times of worship. They are not ordinary days. But the world in which we live, unfortunately, has set aside these times that God has designated and has invented its own traditions, substituting the time of the uh, Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, which represents the period when Christ was crucified, resurrected, all of that period is called Easter. It's an old pagan festival that substitutes it. And the time of tabernacles, when Christ was born, and the time when he dwelt with man, the tabernacling of God with man, that has been set aside. And man-made tradition of Christmas is put in it. And so we see this whole event that is about to occur and it would be remiss of the church of God to allow such a significant moment in the life of the church when the, 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 the heavens are confirming the validity of these high holy days and the holy calendar of God and for us to sit quietly and allow it to pass by. And so, on the 28th, it will be the opportunity for the church and for each one of us to think about the person who is your neighbor, to think about the person who is your co-worker, to think about the person who is a friend, and a member of your family, a relative, that is blinded by the world's teachings against God's law, and to give them an opportunity to come and to hear another side of the story, the side that has been hidden for ages from mankind. I use this opportunity, and we have brought with us, uh, Kenneth has a number of uh, flyers that we are handing out. These flyers will be available to you to give to those persons you would like to see attending this event. The outcome of this event, we hope, will be one that will sow the seed for a new congregation in the Mississauga area where we are holding the event as well as to add numbers to the church here in Burlington, in Kitchener, in Toronto. It is God who gives the increase but we are called to do the planting and the watering and that is something we should not fall short in doing. And so I ask you to, in a very deliberate and serious way, to give thought to the role you will play. The people that you know, the people that God has given you the opportunity to, to, to relate to, to what extent does he expect you to be his witness to them? And can you, could you, would we be faithful if we were not to utilize the opportunity for them to hear this, these presentations that have to do with this phenomenal event? And so 
this leads me into the topic for our sermon today announced by Pastor Adrian, how God grows his church. Because that's the mission. That's what we're about. It is one thing to be called by God and to be a very good member of his church, the body of Christ, a faithful member who observes his Sabbaths and his holy days and who, through the Spirit of God, you are over, living an overcoming life. It's a very good thing to do that. But equally important, God's calling on our lives is not solely for our individual benefit. It really is to become witnesses for Christ. It really is to become ambassadors and to represent Christ to the world. And without a doubt, God wants his church to grow. And it is very sad that the church of God for successive years has remained stagnant at best. Probably, it's better to say, has continued in a declining mode where less and less persons are in the church. Prior to the time of Mr. Takashi's taking the church on to be shipwrecked in the false doctrines of the world, the church of God was pretty much 150,000 members that we knew of. Would have been more. There were people who we didn't know. But primarily through the Worldwide Church of God, 150,000 members. And shortly after that move by Joe Takash and the ministers who followed him, not only was there this great apostasy, but the rem what remained began to find itself splintering. And so we have so many little groups of the Church of God. And we are not surprised because in looking at the scriptures, we have seen how God's church has had its high and low. It's like the stock market. It goes up and it goes down, and there are times when the church is pretty much almost out of existence. Nobody sees it. Nobody hears about it. That is why you see in uh, when Nehemiah and uh, Ezra had to pull the church back again to get back to its roots by showing them that, look, we have lost our way. We've got to get back on the track. That continues to happen throughout history. But the desire for the church to grow is expressed by Jesus Christ. If you turn with me, please, to John chapter 4 and verse 33, where Jesus highlights the priority of growing the church as of higher priority than basic food. More important than the meals that we have. And we are very much aware that we don't miss our meals. We have, on average, three meals per day. And here, in order to impress upon us the importance and the urgency of his church, to do the work of taking the gospel out. In verse 33, it says, Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone 
couldn't someone have brought him food? And this was because he was out. He was working. He was bringing the good news of salvation to the people that he met. And Jesus, on hearing them, replied, verse 34, it says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, that's quite a northern mindset to the mindset we probably commonly experience where Christ would bring out this comparison to show us his mindset. We say we must put on the mind of Christ, and so the Bible tells us. We must put on, we must become like Christ. But to what extent do we think in this way? To what extent is a priority that though I am at work, I must find time to say something about Jesus Christ? to a co-worker. That though I am in a neighborhood and I know people sometimes are pretty selfish and they are not, maybe not so social, but I must find a way to be social enough that I can present Jesus Christ to my neighbors. This is the test that lies before us. How much are we like Jesus Christ? How much is it that to do the work of Jesus Christ for us is more important than the literal food we need to keep us healthy and strong. Then he goes on, verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Evidence that Christ was, was sometime around about Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the in-gathering, the next harvest, was about four months away. And he's using that as an example. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests a crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one man sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not sown. The work, the foundational work that has been done, the work of the apostles, the work of the prophets, and of Jesus Christ himself, in laying the foundation, the work of men along the way and women along the way that have opened up doors of opportunity for us today to preach the gospel. And Christ is saying, look, a lot of work has been done. You, you are a reaper. You're not even called to, to, to... You're not the ones who are writing. Moses wrote you know, the first five books. He did his part so that we can have it to read and and to use it for witnessing. And Paul, he wrote, and and all the apostles and the prophets, they've written, so we have the material to present. All of that is already done. We're not being asked to do that. The examples have gone before us. And all these things, as the scriptures say, were done for those of us upon whom the end of the age has come. And we would be very remiss. This is a call, an important call, a scriptural call to believers to become activated, to become active in representing Jesus Christ wherever he has put us. Wherever he has put us, that's where he wants us to work. That's what he wants us to do. If we look in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, here we see Jesus in another mode. He's lamenting the scarcity of workers. 
the scarcity. Verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, he says. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It is not the lack of a harvest. It is the lack of workers. It's a lack of willing workers. It's a lack of obedience. It's a lack of a desire and a hunger and a thirst to do the work of God upon the earth that he expects of us. And we are called to do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Who are these workers? The workers are the people in God's church, the people he has called. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. We do not know who God is calling. But we can't take that to say that because we don't know who God is calling, well, we don't know, so therefore we don't need to go out there. No. God knows who he is calling. And what we must do is to go out and just spread the word. And those who are God's people that he's calling will hear. My sheep knows my voice. They will hear and they will respond. But how can they hear except a preacher be sent? So sadly, rather than growing, the church has been dwindling to our shame but there's a lot of hope for us to regain that position that Christ has put us in to grow his church. And so what I want to do is to look at how does God grow his church? How do we relate to what he is doing? And it is important to understand, and we will look into the scriptures here, that Church growth is not solely numbers. There are two levels. There is the spiritual growth of the church, and there is the numerical growth of the church. And it appears from the scriptures that the way in which God grows his church is first to grow it spiritually, and then numerically. In other words, God does not want to bring people into his church to give them bad impressions of himself. He wants to create an environment that when people come into the church, they have found really a place that is so nurturing, a place that provides all the spiritual energies for their growth. When they walk in it, they identify it because it is different. It does something for them. And so the quality of our Christianity is the first step that God wants us to pay attention to. And that is why it's good that we're speaking at the time of the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread as it approaches. Because it is a time when we renew our covenant. It's a time of reflection for self-examination. It's a time for strengthening and for returning to do the things that we did at first that we knew when God first called us. And so God does not call people into his church when brethren fail to esteem each other above themselves. He wants that to be happening first. He doesn't call people into his church when brethren are not yet in a position to control their personal emotions. Because in the church, 
things happen. We are sometimes disappointed in the behavior of others towards us. We sometimes feel a sense of betrayal. We sometimes feel a sense of rejection. But how do we act? And God wants us to develop that maturity to be able to demonstrate that we are growing. God does not add his church when there is strife or conflict or things of that nature. And that is very clear from the scriptures. Turn with me, please, to Acts 2, verse 47. And there we see a very great statement, Acts 2.47, the ending statement there, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice, it is God who adds the numbers. And he is not uh, tardy. He does not relent from adding the numbers. Here he was adding the numbers daily to the church. So, church growth comes from God. God adds. But there are conditions, preconditions, for God to do this. So let's step back then. Because that statement comes. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. Those who were being saved. Okay. That's great. Now what is it that was happening? Why the Lord added to their numbers daily? Look in verse 42. Verse 42. Acts two forty-two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship. So here was a church putting its acts together, where people were not there and uh, they were all over the place, you know, confusion about what we believe and, and you know, there's distortion and, you know, the minister don't know more than me and, you know, that was not what was happening. They think that God set up a structure in his church, as he says, and he utilizes that structure to teach. Now, that does not mean that the ministers know everything. It doesn't. The ministers, like believers, are in a position where they are seeing through a dark glass dimly. And the path of the just is like a light shining brighter and brighter onto the perfect day. But so it is too with parents in a home. Parents don't know everything. They're not perfect. But nonetheless, they have a role as parent. And these things, the whole business of structure and role and authority has been a big issue in our world today. And it's something that God does not countenance. Ultimately, it is God's role to discipline those who he sets, gives certain positions to deal with them ultimately. And so members of the church who see a minister maybe going off or just not, I don't believe he's right, I think something's wrong and so on, have, have the right to bring to the minister's attention their observation in a manner in keeping with the scriptural principle. But also to pray because you have as much a direct contact with your maker as your minister has. And what God wants you to do is to take it to the Lord in prayer. Not to be confrontational. Not to have isms and schisms. He wants his church to be an orderly place. So they, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. Yes, God was doing many miraculous work through them because of the condition in which they were. And God still 
is a God of power and miracle and will do work as he sees fit among his people. But the conditions, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's, that's a very uncommon thing that occurs today. They were together and had all things in common. In other words, none were thinking that this is mine, that is yours, I'm better than you, or anything of that sort. That was not happening. Verse 45, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Then is when we see the statement in verse 47 which says, And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That is a condition under which God adds to their numbers. And God wants to add numbers. He's ready to add numbers. But he's saying to us, you know, the church of God has suffered from more splits than anything else. And that is one of the indicators of not being ready for God to add numbers. Where a minister or a leader may just feel that, well, okay, I want to go do my own thing. And is ready to take off and to make another breakaway. Believing that, well, I'm doing the right thing because, you know, I, I, I can't stand this. I can't stand that. Not understanding that that is a manifestation of pride. The root of all sin. Not understanding how we must be able to bear with one another. And if you think you're strong, then let the strong bear with the failings of the weak. That's how you know you're strong. The strong is not someone who walks away and leaves the weak to perish. If you think you're so strong, you should not be walking away. Because those who are strong must bear with the failings of the weak. We have a lot of work to do. So these were the conditions preceding the word and the Lord added to their number daily. And the numbers really were added. Look at verse 41. Acts 2.41. Let's just go through some of these here. We kind of see the numbers that were being added. It says there in verse 41 of Acts 2, those who had received the word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000. That day. That day. 3,000. In one day. God has people. He's a shark of harvest. Short of a harvest. The harvest is there. It's for us to understand what God wants. So he can add. You step down to chapter 4. And look at verse 4. And you're seeing there. And many of those who had heard the message. Believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000 men alone being added. 5,000. If you were to balance that and say equal number of women are there, that brings you to 10,000. And you want to add children? That's the kind of numbers that were being added. God does not fail to add. And when God is not adding, it's time for us to stop and think. It's time for us to stop and consider. What is God doing? Because I know. He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. I will build my church. He's building. Growing his church. And he wants it to grow. Go down to chapter 5. So you see 3,000 being added. Now you see 5,000 men alone. Probably that added up to maybe 
10, 12,000 people? Chapter 5, verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were added. We have now fallen out of the ability to count them. At first we could count when it was 3,000. When it came up to 10 or so, we were able to count the number of men. So we said 5,000. Now, we have to find another descriptor. Multitudes is the word. Multitudes of men and women were added to the church. That's the church to which we belong. We are part of that church. That's our tradition. So when we look around and we're looking at a hundred people saying that's a mega church in the church of God, we've lost it. We've lost it. We're supposed to be thinking the way God thinks and doing the way God does it. And we're seeing it here. Step down, please, to chapter 6. And look at verse 7. Now you're seeing the growth. It's a growth pattern we're talking about. The growth pattern. After all those things that you were seeing that were being done, they were working together, they were in one, you know, they were, had everything in common, they were following the teachings, all these things were happening. Now we're seeing what God is doing. Verse 7 of chapter 6. And the word of the Lord kept on spreading. Now look at these words. When you say you spread, imagine you will a slice of bread and you, you're putting your, 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 your marmalade or whatever, butter. Don't eat too much of butter. And, and you're spreading it. You're covering it. That's what was happening with the word of God. It was being spread. It was blanketing the place. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase Greatly, we are trying to find better and better adjectives. We have gone on to multitudes. Now, we, 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 it's more than multitudes. So, it, it, it's spreading and it's increasing greatly. We are not using numbers anymore. We can't count them. That's the addition. And if you have the time, you can look at chapter 9. Verse 31, chapter 12, verse 24, chapter 16, verses 4 to 5, chapter 17, verse 12, and chapter 19, verse 20. All these tell you about the continued growth of the church as it was. So, we are not in the dark insofar as how God grows his church. We are seeing there's a method. We are seeing that there are prerequisites. We are seeing the part each one must play. I can be a hindrance to the growth of God's church based on how I am operating and behaving within the body. And each one of us has that impact. So we must each, as the Passover comes up, certainly do our self-examination. And just in case we think that, well, this was just, no, something else was happening, it's not because the church was, 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 was growing spiritually, then let's look at the reverse. Let's look at now how the church declines. We've looked at how the church grows. But how does the church decline? How does it lose numbers and, bec and become into somewhat insignificance? Well, the scriptures also give it to us. And it shows us that after this growth took place, 
the church began to decline. Because instead of being like-minded, they were now filled with jealousy and hatred and envy, as we see in the letters written by the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, following the book of Acts. We see where believers were judging one another, and there was all kind. There were all kinds of criticizing each other, and and there wasn't the love and the care that the church is called on to do. Galatians 5 verse 15 capsules it very well. It says, Galatians 5 and verse 15, they were consumed of one another. They were just gobbling one another. They were just destroying one another. That's the same church. And you wonder, how does this happen? How do you move away from all of that success, all of that growth, and, and these conditions are coming upon the church? I suggest to you that the human nature is such that when we begin to experience success, when we find that we are growing and everything, and whoa, multitudes are coming, whoa, greatly, man, 5,000 men in one day, whoa, we begin to take our eyes off of God, and we begin to turn our eyes on ourselves. We begin to believe that we are the ones who are doing it. We begin to, we, we, we want to take the praise. We want to take the claim. Oh, you know, when I did that, that's when those ten came in. And when I, and I did this. And we're forgetting that it is God who gives the increase. And so we begin to compete with one another. And showing who is better than each other. And so after a while, the church begins to run into trouble. We begin to find that we are trying to live on our own strength and we are casting aside what God is doing. Philippians 2 verse 14. Paul is saying to them there in the church in Philippi, do all things without complaining and disputing. That is what they were doing. Very opposite of what we saw in Acts. Complaining, disputing. You look in chapter 4 of the same book of Philippians, verses 2 to 3. Paul writing, I implore you, Ida, and I implore Synthesi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. They were not of the same mind. Remember in Acts, they were all of the same mind. Now we are seeing things are turning around. In Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, And we look at verses 1 to 11. Paul is now, I mean, he's just having a problem. In other words, rather than the apostles now being free to go out and preach, to bring the message to the world out there, they were consumed with having to outfires inside of the church. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Dare any of you Having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. That is what was happening. We, we, we are now, the church is no longer, so, so we, we are gone secular. And we have to go to the, the, the people in the world to settle disputes. Here to remind them, verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? The spirituality was falling. They were weakening. And that is how a Christian behaves. You know what? I know I've been wrong. But I will not bring the name of Jesus Christ into disrepute by going out there to the Gentiles. I am going to bear it. 
Christ bore enough for me. I can bear some things for him. I will bear my loss. I will bear the abuse of my dignity. I will bear it. I will go to prayer and I will pray about it. I know that God will ultimately solve this problem. But that is not what. I want my rights. You violated my rights. You're intruding on me. Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? You know you're being cheated. So no one is disputing that you're being cheated. But the question is, why not know that you're being cheated and say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. For the name of Christ, I'm going to bear it. It's hard to do, brethren. Especially in this world where more and more we are secular, it's very materialistic and so on. And a lot of it rubs off because we work in the world. We live in the world. But this is why we have the Passover and the days when the Lord is coming. And this is why we can use it usefully by attending to these issues. And don't believe that any of us escape it. I, I'm, I don't escape it. It is there. I have to catch up on myself. We all have ways in which the world impacts us. We have to become very conscious, very mindful of it. And take the necessary steps to do what we must do in order to change things. Verse 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat And you do these things to your brethren. That is what was happening. I'm showing you the decline of the church. The opposite of what we saw in Acts. Because you're going to see where it ends up. You know, we can have such a love for God and such an ambition for his church to grow and do well that we become so indignant, we become so repulsive, we become so impatient with others because they're not doing what God says we must do. Not knowing that we ourselves, by so doing, are violating the basic rules. So it is not that, that people are, are, are trying to be wrong. or They, they want to stand up for Christ. They want to see God's church go well. They would like to see that we, we sing one more hymn and, and because they think it is more praise. And they're saying, why are we so, why only two or why only three? And, you know, what's wrong with us? So the motive, in one sense, is because they want to see more done for God. But on the other hand, that level of intolerance, impatience, of not bearing with, is a manifestation of one's pride. And that is how the good side of us can become the bad side of us. And so sometimes when we think we're doing good, we need to sit and think, are we really doing good? We can only measure ourselves by the standard laid down for us, which is Jesus Christ. Because it is really when we are serious about our beliefs, when we really are committed, that we really come into conflict. Because we don't want to see anyone violate God's way. So, there is a balance. It doesn't mean we must tolerate wrong. It doesn't mean that. But there is a balance. There's a way in which we can talk, we can admonish, we can warn. But at the same time, we are not losing our place in dealing with our brothers and sisters. So godly ambition, which is good, can become destructive by becoming personal, individual, um, 
preferences. Ego is at work. And we should look at that. If you turn with me to Third John, verses 9 to 10, you see that even among the ministry, the problem exists. It's not just the laity. The problem exists among the ministry. And therefore, one of the first things the church has to do is to, is to get ministers, ministers to get a hold of themselves. And not because they are bright and they know the word. There are emotional things that they have to learn to control. And that goes for all of us. We are people. I wrote to the church, says John, but the atrophies, who love to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So the atrophies, who was in charge there, is, is really rejecting John, the, the apostles, and nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, those brothers that, that the apostles were sending. He also stops those who want to do so and, and put them out of the church. He has that authority. And because John was sending, uh, you know, others to come down and to participate in the church, because it, they were coming from John, we don't want you here. John sent you? No, no, no. John doesn't run the church here. And he is in charge. But he's setting the wrong example. When ministers do that, they do not have the moral or spiritual authority to speak to brethren who are doing the same things. Ministers must preach also by example. And that is what was happening here. So that where did the church find itself? You turn with me to the book of Revelation, which is the last book. So Acts, the founding of the church, we saw all of that there. And then we see the development and how the church was losing its spirituality along the way. That is what the epistles and all that is dealing with. All the problems were being addressed through these letters. And you look in chapter 2, verse 3, where the churches are in a very, they are anemic. They're sick. They are dwindling. It's no longer the numbers. It doesn't speak of numbers, but when you read this, you understand what is happening there. They are beginning to lose that growth. We see God sharing with them both their strengths and their weaknesses. Christ says, to the church, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. So notice, if, if you were to get these, these remarks coming from Christ himself, I know your deeds, I know your perseverance, you do not tol tolerate wicked men. Wow, we are doing very well. I mean, goodness, you know, we are doing better than we think. That you tested those who, who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. Wow, they, they knew the word, and they were able to get into the word and prove that these are false teachers. Wow, great church. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Wow, another great mark. Church is doing very well. Verse 4. Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. 
You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Look at the warning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand. What? After I was doing so many good things? After you said so many great things about me? You're going to remove my lampstand? Yes. Because mediocrity is not the way of Christianity. Compromise doesn't work. Being good in some ways is not enough. Therefore, as we see here, God wants us not only to measure ourselves individually, he wants us to measure ourselves congregationally. He wants to say, are we a good congregation? How well are we doing? How do we know how well we are doing? Are we able to look at different aspects of our operation and to see how well we are doing in those areas? Because that is what Christ is doing here. He is actually looking at the church, looking at what is good and what is bad, bringing it to their attention, and saying to them, now pay attention to the areas in which you are weak. But do we do that? How then would God add numbers among us? Because sometimes we are looking at the number of things, and we're doing some great things, and we're saying, but we're doing this, we're doing this, but we're looking at the good things. And we're using that and stop there and say, we're doing well. But Christ goes beyond that. Notice, he does not overlook the good things. He has said, you're doing this well, you're doing this well, you're doing this well, but I hold this against you. What is it that God holds against our individual congregations? Do we know? Do we, are we prepared to try to find out? And how are we going to do it? Would it be okay for us to get feedback from the brethren to find out how we are doing in different ways? Because God gives all of us. All of us have gifts. And he will show to us. We can find out among ourselves. What is laid down here is a template, is an example of not only self-examination, but congregational examination. And we are to do it. You can go ahead and read the others. The church in Smyrna, he wrote to them, I know your afflictions and your poverty. See, he knows the things they're going through. Yet you are rich, he says. Even though, you're po- even though, even though you are afflicted and there is poverty, you are rich. Because your wealth is not the material thing. It is that you are an ear. Co-heir with Christ. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan, because those are the people who were, were against them. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, even though you are poor. You are about to suffer something more. Yes, Christ is bringing to their attention. I tell you that the devil put some of you in prison to test you, Oh, yes. So it is not because you are not a Christian or because God is not answering prayer. No. There is a journey. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful. Even to the, to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. These are people. And he's showing to them what they're going to be going through how we must be prepared, and how we must understand what's going on. Take some time on your own and read through these. This is where the church ended up. It was no longer the big praise of doing well and growing. It was that they were going through, they were a fledgling church. It was really, really not very pleasant for them. And so the lesson here is that Christ is calling to them to focus on their spiritual growth. And that is a call to the church today. Let us focus on our spiritual growth. And let us do the things that can equip us and prepare us in order to represent Christ 
in a authentic way to the world. Let us seek after becoming proper disciples and witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let us look at building and growing a strong ministry that is, 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 is carrying out God's will in the church. Let us, in the, small, in the ministries that you're doing, it was a, a, so pleasant to be here this morning and to see the Bible study period with the children. And that is a, gr- a great ministry that you, you're carrying on here. You have many other ministries. Wherever you are placed, whatever you are doing, do your utmost within that ministry and make it work and make it succeed. Make sure that we are a passionate group for God. God you know, I am so amazed how, how sometimes when we look at how the, you know, we, we, the same folks in the church, how we are passionate about things in our, in our family, in, in, in our school, in our workplace, at the games. Very passionate. But not necessarily about the faith. Um, the faith is more or less routine and so on. We need to be eager. We need to be hungering and thirsting and having that attitude as Jesus Christ had. My food is to do my Father's will. That's passion. That is passion. He sets everything aside. He wasn't hungry. And you know it is possible. I don't know if it has ever happened to you. But there are times when I was terribly hungry. And then I heard a good piece of news. Something that just I was so overjoyed about. And the hunger went away. I'm not hungry anymore. You know what? I haven't eaten. And I didn't feel hungry. Because what I was doing meant so much. That's how it should be for us in doing God's work, in doing the church's work. And so that's what God wants us to do, to build a spiritually mature church and to prepare ourselves to go out and to be witnesses. And it is beginning right now, on the 28th of March, your opportunity to demonstrate just what we are talking about today is to ensure that along with you coming to that outreach is at least one person. Is there anybody that you know that if you were to say to them, are there ten people that you know that out of that ten, after inviting all ten, some are going to refuse, but even one is going to join you and come? Look at what happened. Luke 10. We are going to be closing in five minutes. Jesus sent his disciples to do personal witnessing. Luke 10. It says, After this, verse 1, Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Others, meaning he had appointed many before. And sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he is sending them. So it is not the ministers alone that are supposed to be doing the work of evangelism and witnessing. It is the individuals that God called. That is why he said, wait here in Jerusalem and I will send the Holy Spirit and when it comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses for me. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. To be a witness for Jesus Christ. He sent them two by two ahead of him. Verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That was the context in which that statement was made. He was sending them out two by two, and he's saying, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into his harvest. There are too many people out there that I want to call. There are too many that I'm ready to come into the church. But the workers are few. 
few as we are, if we begin to work in another three years from now, we may really begin to see the numbers that there are more workers in the church of God to do his work. It is very clear that most people who come into the church, they come not so much by the television watching, they come because individuals in the church invite them. The church statistics that was done some time ago in in the United States says that 24% of those who came into churches came through a conversation with a family member. 14% responded to a sermon by a church, meaning it was a person preaching a sermon in a church. 14% was raised by family to be a Christian. Only 3% in the church, came through a television program. The people who come into the church come into the church because of you and me, personal contact. Therefore, that is our job. That's why the scriptures say, be ready at all times to give an answer for the faith that is within you. Brethren, it's really a pleasure to be here with you today and to share with you and to be able to speak about these things. We are embarking on a major thrust of church growth, and that includes each one of us. We each have a part to play. I trust that from the scriptures this morning, having seen how God grows his church, that you will get on board. Let us do it together. May God bless you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.